0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4. It's where we'll be this evening. And um, I apologize that I'm going to be leaving you in the dark because I don't know where my keys are to turn the lights on. So, right oh, nice. You want to do it? Okay. See, these are the joys of new church stuff. Yeah, see, isn't that better? That's just a pastor trick to ensure that you don't fall asleep, or at least that if you do, it's definitely me and not the setting for sure. So um, thanks again, Will. Uh, appreciate you leading for us and being here uh, this evening. Um, throughout these last uh, three preview services, we've been talking about letting Jesus change your perspective. And what does that mean? To uh, one, come in contact with Christ through the gospel, and and have the Spirit come in your life. But then, what is? It, how does that actually work in your life? How does that? How does that change your life? And and how do you see the world? And so we we talked about how our perspective has changed. Because really, we don't change as far as our gifts, and we and we used uh, the Apostle Paul for that, and and how he worked through the same gifts that he had that he used to persecute the church were really what led him to be who he was. Um, he, was he was educated, he was driven, and he, he could speak like that. And, and so his perspective is what changed. It, his perspective allowed the gifts that he had been given to actually be used for the proper reasons. He saw the world in a new perspective. And, and we've been focusing on what is. what does that do? How does that work in our lives? And tonight, we finish up this, this short series, um, basically talking about now that we've understood how our perspective can change, and, and last week talking about how we need to be firm in that obedience to that and, and submit ourselves to the Spirit's guidance. Tonight, we'll say, okay, now that we've changed our personal perspective, how does that work Within the church, how how does that actually work? As you gather together, what is the perspective the church then has, and how do we as individuals and and different parts of the church actually work towards that? And so that's where we'll be, because we're going to find that while the gospel interacts with us individually, it also interacts through us through the church to accomplish God's purpose in uh, this world. So we'll be in Ephesians four. Um, Just real quick, we're going to read verses 15 and 16. So if you'll follow along with that, Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Fellow, pray with me. We'll ask God's Spirit to guide us through this t- this evening. Father God, we thank you that we can read the words that you gave Paul and, and that they can apply to us now. God, we thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you've given us guidance that you've given us your spirit to instruct us, to guide us, to teach us. And we just pray that tonight we would submit ourselves to that, that we would allow you to move freely through your word so that we can become changed, that we can be renewed, that we can understand the gospel again in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if we're going to talk about how is our perspective work in the church, we have to define what is the church. Because if you look at society these days, it's defined all sorts of ways. I mean, is it, is it a building? Is it, is it just a random group of people that are holding on to beliefs that really don't matter anymore? That seems to be one of the main things right now. It's the, the, the church, Christian church is just, it's old. They're not smart. That was then, this is now. And so we have to be careful and, and understand that it's critical that we define what the church is. Because if we're using an improper definition, then we'll never be able to go or be effective in what we're trying to do. So here, watershed, we're going to define church. The first part of the definition like this, the, the church is all people who through the power of the gospel have been adopted into God's family. It's just a simple definition. It's all people, all people past, present, future that have been adopted into God's family because of what Christ did because of the power of the gospel. So when we say church, that's the first part. But the the problem with leaving the definition there is that's 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 kind of abstract. That's what uh, the theologian would say. That's the universal church. It includes everyone. Um, Christians in Africa are in that definition, but they're not here. So so we have to continue. We have to go further. And our definition. So it's not just this merely abstract concept. But we need to go smaller. And so we'll add on the end. Who gather locally to serve and worship. Alongside fellow believers. So the church is one this big. It's everyone that has been bought. By Christ's sacrifice. But it's also those that gather locally. Consistently. Alongside fellow believers. So the church is this thing that you can't see but yet it also meets in this thing that you can grasp so it's not simply defined in one way but it is the other and so we see that while it includes everyone there's there's one thing that holds that all together there's one common aspect even when we include uh, the saints of past and then the ones that will come there's one common denominator and that's christ that's Christ. So when we say the church is all those that have been adopted into God's family, it's all those that have been adopted to God's family by the work of Christ. And so we gather together locally also, as we are now. And it, this reveals that the church isn't merely a place, but it's a people. Paul uses that further in Ephesians 5 when he when he's telling husbands how to love their wives, how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her not it. For her, it's a people. Church is a people. The fact that we're in an elementary school demonstrates that perfectly. I get that easier than most people because I can say, look, there's probably teachers working in their classroom right now. Yet we're here gathered as believers. So the church isn't this abstract thing. It's people. It's a group of believers coming together. So when we get there in Ephesians 15 or Ephesians 4 in verse 15, Paul tells us, Speak the truth in love. So when he's telling the believers there in that church to speak the truth in love, now we have to define what that truth in love is because he continues says, but they're to grow into every way into him. So this truth that they're speaking in love is what pushes them to grow into Christ. So we have to define what the truth is. And so we look at that, we think, what is truth, and then how do we grow? What's next? We we live in this this world that says, I want to know the next thing that's coming. I want to be prepared. I want to know what's coming. So, okay, if we're supposed to grow, how do we grow? The answer is the gospel. The answer is the gospel because the gospel points us to Christ, points us to God and how holy, how righteous he is, but also points us to our sinfulness, to who we really are. And it doesn't stop there. The gospel shows us that the bridge in between that is Jesus on the cross. And there is a way for us. So the truth of the gospel is at the center of everything. Pastor Mark Dever, he's a pastor in uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, I guess, I believe is the right one, in Washington, D.C., says it this way. says, the gospel is the heart of Christianity, so it should be the heart of our churches. So the gospel should be the heart of our churches because it's at the heart of Christianity. Without the gospel, without Jesus Christ, Christianity is nothing different than any other religion. That's the difference. So how are our churches, the gathering locally of believers, different? It's the gospel. The gospel gives us the perspective that then goes. And then you see that in verse 16. If you look at verse 16, if you still have your finger there says, from whom the whole body, from whom, remember, this is Christ. We're growing into Christ. So now this is what Christ is doing. From whom the whole body, everyone's into him, the whole body, all the believers, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So see first that every joint is equipped. So every person who has been born again, been adopted into God's family, you're equipped. you're equipped for what? For the church. You're equipped for the church because when you're joined together as a joint, everyone here is a joint and you're equipped with that and then each per, each part walking working properly, Christ makes the body grow. And, and what we see there is that Christ equips his church. Christ leads his church and he builds his church. So while the gospel is the center of the church, Christ is the head of that church too. The church, the, the pastors, myself or other pastors or elders, when we get to, um, to a point where we install elders here at Watershed, they're not the leaders of the church in a sense of all direction. They submit to Christ and his authority. It starts with Christ. It's his gospel that gives us the avenue that we're equipped with to lead. The pastors merely keep us on the right track. I was watching a, I was watching a video the other day. I watch random YouTube videos every now and then. Sorry. I've taught high school for seven years. Maybe they had a, a bad effect on me. But uh, I was just watching just random stuff. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes I don't know why. I'm like, I am watch it. And I'm like, you're an idiot. But um, I was watching this thing. He's on ships. And then it was talking about the way the ships, autopilots work. Or I guess it's autopilot for ships too. But it's talking about how they use the GPS and the different satellites to stay on on course. And these guys, I don't know why they had done it at some university. They'd come up with a way to where they could trick the autopilot. I think they're trying to do like counterterrorism type stuff or whatever to figure out how people could mess with. But they figured out a way where they could fool the ship's computers into replacing one of the GPS satellites with the data that they're giving. And so they would slightly, they'd give it a little bit off. And then so the ship, while the mechanics and the, the instruments would read their own course, in reality, they were veering slowly and slowly off course. And you couldn't tell because the ship thought it was still pointing to the right satellite. They, they bypassed the computers. And if no one was there, the only people that could notice it was the humans because if you could actually look at the heading so if no one noticed it depending on how long be how far you are you could be 400 miles off and the computer still said you weren't and that's the same thing that that happens with the church is that our growth comes from a common direction our growth comes from this common direction and if we're not paying attention we'll think we're in the right spot when in reality we're far from where we should be Just like the ship is doing that. And I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But it's kind of crazy at the same thing. But how subtle it was. It it was subtle. It was hours to get them, like an hour off course, as far as coming back. It it was crazy. And that's the same thing the church does, is that we have to focus on a common direction. And that common direction is given to us by the gospel. Christ has told us what we are to do. He's changed our perspective so we see people differently so that we can go in that common direction. And that's where growth comes. But we have to, uh, uh, real quick, we need to talk about the growth that we're talking. We're not talking growth as in numerical growth. We're not like, if we're in the same direction, 40 people will be here. Okay, We're talking growth as far as salvation. This is growth as people coming to know him. Now, it's not it's not bad if someone comes from another church. But when we say growth comes from a common direction and at the end of that verse 16, where he says makes the body grow. It's not talking about the local church growing numerically unless the growth numerically is from salvation. It's people who are dead apart from Christ coming to life. So he equips us. And when we're working properly, he makes the body grow because the gospel is effective. When people hear the gospel, they change. So if a person's already a believer, they're already considered part of the church. Now, there might be life circumstances where they change. Churches, they gather in a different group, and that's fine. But when we say growth of the body, we want growth as in people coming to salvation. That's the point of this. The point of the church is so that people will understand that they are dead in sin without Christ. And so we're to proclaim the gospel. So we see that the church is this dynamic organism and has a bunch of moving parts. And they all function through and they're established by one source, Jesus Christ and his gospel. Okay, But there are different ways that works out. I mean, that's great in theory. You can look at that and be like, that's awesome. And we can stop there and have no idea what to do next. Because we live in the world we're not, we're not separated. We live in the world. So how does that actually work out? And that's, that's where we'll spend the rest of our time. How is Watershed Church going to use the gospel as our common direction to share the gospel with those around us? Because that's what the local gathering is for. That's why it's called a gathering, because it's the church that's spread out actually coming together. Okay. And the first way we're going to do that is in our, our lives. I say the gospel lived because it's literally where you are. You got to think, why are you actually here, living here? You know what? What actually brought you here? We, Lindsey and I, came to Lampassus because I applied for jobs everywhere across the state of Texas. I sent out like thirty-six something applications, I had two interviews, and I got one job offer. Lampassus. Here we are, ten years later. Okay, so. I don't know if that's a bad sign for me that I sent out so many. I just say there was that many qualified people out there. I don't know. Wh- whatever. But, but also, you know, why are you here? You know, some of you, it's because the army said you had to be here. Right? I mean, you didn't want to come here, but the army said so. So you did. But the problem is stopping with that. Is it, is it fails to acknowledge that maybe God has a purpose. That that maybe God is using something in your life to bring you here for a purpose. And we see that um, in Jeremiah 29. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it real quick. We're just going to read one verse. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so there... God has sent his people into exile. Violently sent them into exile. And they're in the city. They don't belong. And he doesn't tell them to separate. He he tells them to take wives. Have children. To seek the welfare of the city. Get in the city. And then later in that 29 is where you get the famous. For I know the plans I have for you. Okay? He God knows what he's doing. But he also tells us to to where you are. So. Our mission is where we are. We're to seek the welfare of the city. And it seems counter, really, what you would think. You know, God's allowed his people to go. And you think you would tell them, you know, kind of still separate yourself so that you're not changed. I don't want them to affect you. But it's the opposite. He says, no, be like them to a point where you seek the welfare. And then I'll be the difference in you. So... As far as how are we gonna do that? Is we just simply live like real people. We live like real people. We don't wanna be those those Christians that are annoying that all of a sudden start just preaching to everyone you see. Because that doesn't work. We need to be real people with real struggles, real frustrations. And then why doesn't it bear you down? Because the gospel. And so through watershed, we're gonna we're gonna group people together in groups, in, in communities, not by Age or anything, but where you live, I can't. I can't be effective on the east side of Cove. I don't live over there. I don't know anyone. I might work with someone that lives over there, but I'm only going to see them every now and then. But i ha- where I live, I can be effective because I see those people. And you don't always see your neighbors. there's there some neighbors that you see evidence of life, but you never see life? Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, but you, you, that's where you got to be ready. You got to be there. You got to invest where you are. And so that's what we'll do. We'll be purposeful about that. We're going to live on mission in a sense that everything that we do is an opportunity for the gospel. Everything that we do is an opportunity for the gospel. But then what happens is as the growth is happening, as people are coming to Christ, they need to be taught. They need to be taught. You don't understand it when you first hear of Christ. You first accept Christ. You don't understand it. So we have to disciple people. So we have to be Purposeful in discipleship, and, and we believe here that if a church doesn't disciple its people, it's really not a church. You're going to train people up. And really, I was thinking of it this way if, if you're not being taught by someone that's more mature than you, or you're not teaching someone that's not as mature as you, you really don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel is telling us that it's not about us, that everything that we brought to our table was the negative aspects was a negative aspect. Someone asked Martin Luther one time, what do we contribute to our salvation? And he said, your sin. You know, and that, and that, so the gospel so we need to be teaching each other. I need to be taught. You need, we always need to be in those relationships because then the church is effective because people are growing. They're seeing how to do it. And as someone's being taught by someone else and they can see someone That's not as mature as them. Or that's a new believer. And then all of a sudden they can pour into that person. Because the gospel goes beyond ourselves. And it forces us outward. And that's hard to do though. I I think we talked about it the last time. And I said that some people just are hard to love. You know. Those might be your neighbors. That are hard to love. But yet we're called to do it. We have to get there. We have to get dirty. It made me think of. Eating ribs. I know that's random. It made me think of eating ribs. <laughs> but I had to, it, it stuck in my mind. But you think about it you can eat ribs and they're okay, but it's not near as enjoyable if you eat them with a fork. Right? There's just something wrong about it. You know, you a little fork. And it, But if you actually get in and you get dirty, you experience it completely different. And the mission is the same way. If you get out of your house, actually get involved with people, it's dirty and it's messy and you really feel like you constantly need to separate yourself and clean yourself. But it's actually more effective. It's actually more effective. Because that's where the gospel then tells us, it's okay. Because it's on me. It's not on you. You don't have to do this. My son did this. That's what the gospel does. So a mission, if you're not out getting in it, You're really not doing it. You're really not doing it. The next way that the gospel filters through us in the church is the world. And it's a little different. I say gospel experience because we live where we are and we experience the gospel through our lives. But this is an experience and a completely different thing. So as we're on mission to our cities, we can't forget the world. We can't be so focused that we're right here when there's people around us. Okay? And, and that's what Jesus, the last thing he said in, in the Gospel of Matthew, in, in twenty eight nineteen, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's not a hard command to understand. Go and make disciples. Where? All nations. Okay. Are we able to do that? Not physically, no. There's not a lot of people that can just go. There's some that can, but not. So So how will we at Watershed, as a local gathering of believers, how will we go to the nations? It's because we're going to be proactive instead of reactive. We're going to try to partner with people. We're going to find people on the ground there and support them. Yes, financially, but we're not just going to throw money at a problem. We're going to send people. And if we're training people, if we're discipling people like we should, then we'll be sending people anyways, because that's the thing. The gospel points us outward. If we truly understand the gospel, we can't not go to other people. It it proclaims us outward, because it's not about us anymore. And so that's what we'll do, is, is we'll find ministries that are doing stuff. We'll plant churches. We want to plant churches. We're going to be an Acts 29 church planting organization. The whole tagline or whatever you want to call it is for them, is churches planting churches. So yes, we want to plant churches. We want to send people out specifically to do that. Because really, a, a new church is the most effective ministry strategy there is. A new work reaches people. We don't have enough churches. People that say we don't have enough churches are people that are scared to get out and do it. Not necessarily they have to be it, because it's 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 not for everyone, but they should support that. They should find a way to go. So we're going to partner with that. We're going to partner with people there. We're going to send people there. We're going to plant churches. And don't and we're not thinking we have a we have a tendency when we think all nations, we think Africa and India. We think the 1040 window. Okay? There's places in our country that need disciples. There are places in Europe that are far from it. There's a study not long ago. in in northern Germany that it failed to find one person from 12 to 28 that said God was real. Not one person they studied. It's like 2,000 people, which really isn't a lot, but it's staggering. Not one person said that God is a real kind. It's just a made-up thing. Okay, They need people on the ground preaching the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that can create dead hearts into life. And then finally, when we finally get into all of this, when we're living on mission, we're getting dirty and, and just being real with our neighbors, telling why we have hope, what is it about us? And then we're sending people and we're going to the nations and we're discipling all over the world through personal. And then how we support people. When you really look at it, the, the gospel the biggest thing that affects us is our worship. And I say that worships our response to the gospel. When you see the gospel and the spirit's created a new heart in you and it's opened your only response is worship. Worship is the only appropriate response to to the gospel. It's because it shows you there's nothing I did. There's nothing I did. And so the so the gospel leads you to worship it leads you to worship because we see evidence in our lives of what's happened that's why you have a baptism that's because the church can celebrate that change the church celebrates that change that's an act of worship when you see someone that's heard the gospel and responds and they're baptized as a symbol of what the gospel is proclaiming a symbol of christ bringing you from death to life and the spirit washing you clean Baptism is a response of worship. It's an exciting thing. It's a worshipful experience. But worship, as we're talking about, is a heart thing. What we're doing right now when we read God's word is just as much worship as when Will plays a song. Because it's the heart. In Joel 2, he says, um, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning, and it says, "And rend your hearts, not your garments." It's a, worship is a heart thing. Rend your heart. Literally, your heart should be exposed. It should be opened. You know, in and, and that time, they would tear their garments as an outward expression. So, when, when here, when God's saying, "Rend your hearts," He wants you to to be broken before Him in your worship, to be honest. It's a heart thing. Gospel worship is heart worship. And it means that everything that we do while we gather should be a response to the gospel and it should be a worshipful act. That's what we do. It's not for show. It's for love. It's to express love for who we have. There is a book. Um, I forgot who wrote it. It's a Stories of Martyrs. I forgot what it's called now, but there's a, it has letters. And there was one that was smuggled out of China. And the person is saying they could get radio stations, and and the guy was saying after every radio broadcast, you um, you pray. And he's like, I want I, I want someone to teach me to pray. I don't know what prayer is, but if I would guess, I would say it's to live your life after everything you do. You could add, Amen. And that's a perfect picture of that. That's also they were talking about prayer. That's a perfect picture of what true worship is. Is that everything we do? Should be worshiped because we realize that it's the gospel that powers us to love one another. Because really, we won't. If we don't focus on the power of the gospel, we're not going to love our neighbors. We might talk to them, we might tolerate them, we're not going to love them. And, it's, and we have to go beyond that. So, for the church to be effective, for the local church, not just watershed church, but any local church to be effective, It has to be driven by proper understanding of the gospel. And the proper understanding of the gospel is that we did nothing to warrant salvation. Yet it's been offered to us. That there's nothing that we did to earn it. Yet God so loved us that he sent his only son. That whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. It wasn't because of what we did. It's because of what he did. And that's why we worship and that's why we respond. So in a sec, I asked Will tonight to come up and and do one last song um, just so we can focus again on our worship is a response to the gospel. It's a response to the gospel. And so as as Will does this last song, that's that's what we need to do. We need to focus our hearts on that. Because that's why we're here is to give thanks for the good news that is the gospel.